Hi, listeners. Rachel here with an exciting announcement. We are holding a summer book club bingo game, and there is a card that you can download, a bunch of prompts for different types of books that you can choose to read to play the game along with us. All the instructions and information on how to sign up are at rachelthompson.co slash book club, where you can get your card. And you'll also be able to enter your card to win prizes throughout the summer months. So that's from May to September. We'll be running this book club bingo. I hope you will sign up and uh, read some cool books and be inspired to do some more writerly reading this summer. So all the information is at rachelthompson.co slash book club. What do editors want? It's a question that many creative writers have asked themselves or more likely muttered dejectedly after a frustrating rejection. I'm Rachel Thompson, author and literary magazine editor and your podcast host. The Lit Mag Love podcast grew out of my course by the same name, and I continue to seek out answers to this question of what editors want by going right to the source. I bring you interviews and insights about how to improve and publish your writing. In this episode, I interview Alexandria Patrassi from So To Speak magazine. So To Speak seeks poetry, fiction, nonfiction, and visual art for one online issue and one print contest issue a year. And their contest issue has an $8 entry fee, but they do not charge for submissions to the online issue and blog. It's best to check their submittable page to see what types of submissions they're accepting before you prepare to submit. And they're usually looking for work that matches their intersectional feminist viewpoint and for work by writers, poets, and artists who want to challenge and change the identity of the canonical writer. And in this episode, we talk about how the canonical writer has changed since Alexandria started reading and and appreciating poetry. When I started reading poetry, she says, I didn't read anybody living. And then fast forward to today, where we're in this moment where people are reading writers who are much different. There's a different quality to the voices, a lot of people speaking their own truth and their experience of moving through the world that differs from a lot of readers. And it also is showing how we can help people see different experiences and how poetry in particular is opening that conversation. Alexandria Petrassi studies poetry in the MFA program at George Mason University, and she is the editor-in-chief at So To Speak Journal. She's the winner of the 2018 Mary Roberts Reinhardt Award in Poetry, and her work has appeared in Calamity, Crab Fat Magazine, and Sweet Tree Review, among others. Welcome to the Lit Mag Love podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So can you start by talking a little bit about the mission of So To Speak and why it's important to you? Sure. Yeah. Um, So uh, since 1993, when So To Speak was founded, um, the mission was always to publish feminist writing and art. However, in the last few years, um, since I got involved and a lot of great people um, just like immediately before me, uh, So To Speak has been reflecting on whose voices are missing from the com- the conversation about feminism um, that has come about on our platform, right, since we started the journal. So 
After a lot of long conversations, our staff decided it was time to change direction and take an intersectional feminist approach that includes advocates for and amplifies the perspectives and experiences of marginalized women and gender nonconforming people. Um, so kind of why that is important to me personally, um, well, as a a woman, that's important to me, obviously. But more than that, um, I've always been interested in learning how I guess I can help the conversation get out into the world. And so when I got the opportunity to work with, so to speak, um, and advocate just for so many amazing people who need, you know, like somebody out there advocating to help to get their voices into the world, I just sort of jumped at the opportunity and it's been this giant learning experience ever since because you know you can change your mission it doesn't change overnight though so it's been like a long road um, for so to speak the last couple of years certainly um, as our mission has shifted to accommodate the fact that we our initial view of feminism was far too narrow and it didn't speak for everybody um, so it's kind of like where so to speak is and sort of wh where our mission is and why it's really important it's vital, absolutely vital, um, both for me and everybody, I think. Yeah, so much is resonating with me in terms of Room Magazine, too. That's the same. We've taken a similar journey where we had this really narrow definition of feminism, and it's become more plural and more inclusive. And I know one of the par parts of the mission, with, so to speak, is to have the canonical identity, so the heteronormative, patriarchal, cisgender, able-bodied, white male writer change um, in, in your pages at least, but do you feel like it's changed or stayed the same since the journal started in 1993? So from my personal perspective, so to speak's idea of the canonical writer, I think has changed enormously with our shift in mission in particular particular. I don't want to entirely discredit the like incredible work editors of so to speak have done throughout the years. It, I mean it, it has gotten us here to this moment after all but recently I view the work we've been doing is more focused on advocating for all all people especially marginalized people and so like while we do occasionally publish cisgender able-bodied white male writers um more often than not, we're publishing work by people and women of color. We give special privilege um, and attention to work dealing with mental health, immigration, race, trauma and assault, disability, uh, gender identity, sexuality, any combination of those. Um, and I think previously, perhaps that focus wasn't front and center, although the work that was happening was still really great and productive. So for so to speak, I think our idea of what the canonical writer is or should be, a little bit of both of those, has shifted enormously, like just in the last couple of years, certainly. But I think, you know, like even on the outset, there was a lot of challenging, like who could speak for whom and, and you know, who, who had a seat in the conversation. Yeah, I, I guess I wanted to get to... I mean, you spoke, you touched on this too, but I, I was wondering what kind of shifts you've seen in literature at large, like what, I guess what things are exciting you about any shifts in canonical, like what's seen as canon now basically in American literature or, or internationally? Ah, okay, yes. Um, so as someone who's been reading poetry for most, I would say like most of my life, because um, I'm a poet in particular. So although I read widely, I, I read more poetry probably um, than anything else. I would say 
gosh, you know, like when I started reading poetry, it was just, I didn't read anybody who was um, living. Like that was the canon, right? Where I started, I Googled like famous poetry and it was just like a lot of people, historical writers and not to knock their work, certainly. Um, It's been important in various different ways, but I think the fantastic thing about this moment where we are right now that gets me so energized and really excites me about being involved in literary journals um, is that the canonical writer is totally different. Like who, who people are reading now, I think, and who people will remember, you know, are these incredible, it's like so much more diverse, the voices and and also, like, the quality of the voices speaking to their own truths and their own, re- like, their own experiences moving through the world, I think, encourages this multiplicity of seeing, right? So, like, I think now poetry is so concerned, and rightly so, with how can we help people see different experiences from where they stand. It always has been doing that, but now more than ever with people of color, um, like transgender writers, especially like these are political issues. Um, and I think poetry is really helping opening that conversation up and like bringing the empathy to the forefront and saying, this poem isn't for you. It's not about you, but you can learn from it if you're open and listening. So I think like that, I hope is where like the canonical writer will be the people who are opening conversations, opening experiences, but also setting really good boundaries about who art is for, who poetry is for, you know, and also like, even if it's not for us, what we can learn from it. Yeah. I love what you have to say about setting boundaries about who art is for. And then also the idea that, yeah, this poem is not about you, but you can learn from it. And I, I, in particular, I think you're bang on with saying it. That's what's happening in terms of the exciting things going on in, in trans poetry. And, and uh, what is the current slush acceptance rate? So if I can turn to mechanics of, so to speak, what is, what is the current slush acceptance rate at the journal? So we do not usually, if I think we only solicit submissions for the blog. So we are never soliciting submissions for our online issue or our print issue. So everything is slush. <laughs> um, so uh, for our, in terms of our, what we're publishing in the journal itself. Um, for our online issue, we usually accept about 10 to 15 poems, like two to three nonfiction pieces, two to three fiction pieces, and work from one to two artists. And that's like a ballpark. Um, for our print issue, we accept work from each of the contest winners in our four categories. And we also accept about like one or two runners up from each category, depending on how long the piece is. We try to be mindful of our page space. Um, And we usually, I'd say that we usually receive anywhere from 300 to 500 submissions, depending on the issue, which we are a small, smaller journal. So that's like, I think pretty good odds, Um, not like amazing odds, but certainly I would say like submit because we, read absolutely everything that comes to the door we don't solicit and we take like we try to take as much work as we can um while keeping kind of the issue tight and i guess if an issue is we don't really like super long issues because then we kind of just want to give you like the punch right like the best work we have in front of us is like the smallest pool as possible now now i want to turn to ask about your editing 
life and how editing has informed your own poetry and, and if, it, if it has informed your own poetry and writing practice? Definitely. Um, whenever I interrogate or raise an ethical question, especially with a piece, it's something I don't forget when it comes time to interrogate or question my own work. As a cisgender, white, able, middle-class woman, I have a lot, a lot of privilege. Uh, and since working on So Speak, I've become a lot more intense about making sure I'm real about my audience, and I'm also considering my metaphors, my images, my language choices from as many different perspectives as possible. I have like such a narrow experience, but working on So Speak, I guess, has shown me that there's just a wide, wide variety of experiences people have moving through the world and how important it is to interrogate your own work and make sure you're being mindful and respectful of those experiences. Um, not to mention that old adage about good readers making good writers uh, is so crucial and true. Uh, the wider you read, the wider you write, the better you both read and write. That's so important. Um, I think reading a diverse body of work, uh, both through, so to speak, and on my own, just sort of personal time, has really helped me on a personal level as well as helping my own writing. So I'd say my editing is really really vital to the growing my own writing and, and learning and continuing to see different perspectives. I think that's so astute. And I wonder, it makes me actually wonder, are there opportunities to join, so to speak, that people could maybe get involved in, on the editorial side? So we operate out of George Mason University. Um, and so we try to get undergraduates involved, but mostly we're like closed in or on George Mason, and that's just for logistical reasons of making sure we can coordinate everybody, because um, we're all a working staff of grad students. Um, so, you know, limited time, limited resources. But I will say that if you want to get involved with, so to speak, the best way, like our blog is this like hot button place where any thoughts you're having on any of like political issues you know, just anything in the world that you think needs a spotlight, books that you love, movies that you love, art that you love, send it to us. Because part of our work on the blog is connecting people in a wider way, right? Like in a more immediate way with those things. And we have way more leeway, like hybrid work, right? Uh, event write-ups. Like we do all that kind of stuff on the blog. So I'd say if someone is interested in sort of like jumping into our conversation reading and engaging and submitting to the blog probably is the best way to do it. And then if you're, if any of you listeners are a GMU student, <laughs> uh, please reach out and be involved in, so to speak, we would love to have you. Now, I want you to think back to your first experience submitting to Lit Mags. Can you speak a bit about the hindsight that maybe that you get after becoming an editor after first, you know, submitting early on before you had that experience? Oh, yes. I can certainly think back to that. I, uh, gosh, when I, I was in my senior year of college in undergrad when I decided to send my work out for the first time, and I was just totally clueless. And everyone is, so it's not to say that it's like a terrible thing, but I just got this idea that I was going to send my work out to every single top tier magazine I could find. And then I would like know, right, officially where I stood or how I measured up. If I could go back in time, I would just tell myself to focus on journals where I think my work would find a good home. So for me, finding a good home means having other voices present that your work can speak to in ways that you 
you might not expect, you know, but that you can trust the magazine will put you into conversation with. So, gosh, I don't know. My early, early experiences were just so miserable because I was comparing myself against writers who had like a huge leg up on me, like in the industry, certainly. And in terms of the time they've been able to commit to their practices in a lot of cases. So yeah, I'd say for any early submitters, <laughs> think about where you want your work to live and be in like, and be in conversation. And I think that's how you find, now I know that's how I find the literary magazines I want to submit to, but then it took me some time. I love that insight of having those other voices present that you can trust the magazine to put you in conversation with. And I'm wondering how, how do you approach that in so to speak when you're, when you're making that kind of conversation happen between the pieces? Yeah. So we don't usually theme our issues. Um, Maybe there have been a couple, but mostly we do not. So what we get is sort of like, just sort of, you get your pulse on exactly what a lot of people are thinking about when you have a huge batch of submissions in front of you. And we just try to pick by the work we feel the most connected to and that we see the most like interesting craft complexities that reflect the complexity of the content. That's huge for us. So interestingly enough, inevitably, those pieces are speaking to each other, like, which I think is just incredible that, you know, what a magazine prioritizes and how they're picking their palms naturally leads to those palms, those fiction pieces, those nonfiction pieces and art being in conversation with each other. It sort of just happens. And so as editor in chief, when I write the letter from the editor, that's my moment to touch base with my editors, to read through again, all of the marvelous work and to start casting out those lines of connection that are already there. They're just sort of waiting for somebody to notice them. Um, So that's like, as an editor, that's sort of how I approach generating that conversation and helping people find a lens to access the conversation as well. And I know you've worked at a lot of lit mags. So what is it that you love about lit mags and and what other lit mags do you love and why? Gosh, working on lit mags is just something I find so energizing, like completely energizing. I've I've had the privilege of working on a, a few so far. I hope to get involved with more after my time as editor at so to speak um ends but the one thing i love most about working at lit mags is that with every piece you publish you have the chance to introduce folks to new voices new points of view new experiences this is what i love about reading so as an editor who's worked on a couple lit mags um i just love the idea that i could you know help people find the voices that they need you're not and you're not just connecting readers and writers you're providing this beautiful space for that to happen and also working as an editor you don't you can't forget that the voices in the work are attached to living and breathing people and so the work becomes so much personal and so much about community like how do we support each other um, so when I'm working with writers that we accept for publication, when my when the other editors on my staff are doing the same thing, we're really thinking about how we support that writer in that moment. Um, and that's just like our, we have so much gratitude for what they're doing. Um, that's like, our, we have to give that to them, you know, like, like shower them with gratitude for sending their work to us, for giving us the opportunity to connect other people with it. So that's like, why I love Lit Mag so much. I think they're incredible. And I love that anybody who wants to, who's passionate, dedicated, persistent, you know, can just start their own because it means that, you know, 
there's just wide, wide, wonderful platform of literary journals and magazines out there for people to find the work that resonates with them. And I definitely, I love Room, by the way. I just have to get that out of the way. I was uh, very excited um, when you reached out. So I love Room. I love Black Warrior Review. Um, who doesn't love Poetry Magazine? That's pretty great. <laughs> Guernica is great. And I also like Whiskey Island quite a bit as well. Those are just a few that came to me. <laughs> I haven't heard of Whiskey Island. What is that journal about? Whiskey Island is a journal. I found out about it because I had a lot of poet friends um, who were getting published in there. And then AWP, I picked up, you know, a free issue um, while I was wandering around the book fair. Uh, they are really cool. They do a lot of, when I read it, I see a lot of like mythic fairy tale elements. I'm not sure if that's like their primary focus. I think they're out of Ohio state or some, somewhere like that. Um, I'd have to double check on that. But they're out of a university at... They have like the coolest art on the cover. It seems to be always just centering important voices and work. Um, yeah, I highly recommend checking them out. They're really great. I will. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you tell me a bit about your writing these days? So what are, what are you writing and what's influencing you? Yeah, so currently I'm working on my thesis for my master's program, um, and it will become a full-length book manuscript Uh, And I'm interrogating the representation of the female nude in Western art. So the poems are all ekphrastic. They're all in conversation with different art pieces and artists, both historical and contemporary. This is a wide lens. And I'm kind of trying to show how centuries of treatment and representation on the canvas directly influences our perceptions and actions towards women, certainly, in daily life, but also how we perceive gender certainly doesn't just affect women, right? Like everything's on a binary. The people who are in between, um, you know, get forgotten about or worse, right? Um, So I'm hoping that the collection will show impact, right, of representation. And I also hope I have a chance here to interrogate how my own whiteness fits into that puzzle and also systems of oppression I have been or am still um, complicit in. So I guess art has just been feeding me and giving me life lately, especially contemporary feminist artists. After like being just knee deep in like historical art by white male painters, coming into contemporary feminist art is such a beautiful breath of fresh air. <laughs> it makes me feel like really, really hopeful um, and excited about where art, how we're moving in art right now. How how can writers connect with you and then and then with the journal, with so to speak journal? Yeah. So first I would say this is like I think most editors would say this. I'm sorry if this seems, you know, I guess cliche. But you know, buy an issue is our first my first thing I'll say. We're selling our latest issue right now and it's just simply marvelous. It's amazing. Uh we had some incredible judges and some incredible contributors. We're really proud of it. And then also, we also have a wonderful free blog, online content, and online issues on our website. Um, we've got the blog wrapped up recently, a Me Too series featuring people sharing their stories um, of assault and survival. And those are poems, art, nonfiction pieces. Our blog editors are working on this, curating this upcoming immigration series, which seeks to explore immigration in America from a wide variety of perspectives. 
Um, so there's a lot of free stuff as well as our contest issue that's out there from 2018 for purchase. But also we're currently open for our 2019 contest submissions. So I would say if you want to connect with us, we would love to read your work for that. And our judges right now are Victoria Chang, Sandy Allen, Pam Houston, and Aaron Silver. So it is a, a great opportunity to get your some really, really awesome people looking at your work. And last but not least, Sign up for our email newsletter, follow us on social media. We offer a lot of fee-free days and discounts. We do a lot of fundraising for organizations in our local community that are protecting and advocating, you know, for the people that we are also publishing in our journal. So we run a lot of donation drives and fundraisers. So I would say any of those ways are a really great way to start connecting with us and join us in what we're trying to do with our journal and our mission. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your Lit Mag Love with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. It has been really great. So what editorial insights can we glean from my conversation with Alexandria? I think, first of all, it's important to underline that they are specifically making a place for writing on mental health, on immigration, race, trauma, and assault on disability, gender identity, sexuality, and any combination of those. So if that is what you're writing about, if that's what's driving you to write, then this would be a good place to send your work. And one of the things that Alexandria said that really struck me is the idea of reading outside your experience. So she says, this poem isn't for you, it's not about you, but you can learn from it if you're open and listening. And I think that's a really good approach to reading in general for writers. So they're never soliciting for online or print publications. So everything that they read and everything that they publish is from submissions. So your submissions through Submittable are all contenders for those publications. And the best way to get involved in, so to speak, is actually to start with the blog. They're blogging on a wide variety of topics, and it's worth checking out and seeing about submitting there. Another thing that Alexandria said that was really striking for me was that finding a good home for your writing means having other voices present that you can trust the magazine will put you into conversation with. And I thought that was a good approach, not just for submitting to So To Speak, but also considering how you submit to any journal. Is this a journal that you want your work to be in a conversation with? It's a good question to ask yourself. Lit Mag Love is co-presented by Room Magazine, literature, art, and feminism since 1975, and the Lit Mag Love course, an online course to get smart, fearless, and published with lots of help from me. Sound editing for the episode is done by Micah Lemiski, and I'm your host, Rachel Thompson. If you want to give us some love in the form of a review wherever you get your podcast, we would love that, and it really helps other writers discover the podcast. You can find us online at litmaglovepodcast.com or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at litmaglove. Thanks for writing and reading literature, and thanks for listening to Lit Mag Love. Join our game of book club bingo this summer. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash book club.